Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for July 2020. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. Well, it's the 1st of July. I intended to do a message in June, but uh, I had my message all planned. I've got it all written out, but every day I'd ask the Lord, is this the day to preach it? And there was just no yes in my spirit. And so it's been delayed, delayed, delayed. And then this morning, Bev and I were talking and I began to understand why. God has something else for me to share ahead of what I was going to share this month. I was going to talk in the the series on know who you are and authority. I was going to speak about plundering the enemy's goods and I will preach that message. But because of current events and because of things that have been said and are being said and and what I'm hearing and people are contacting us, I felt that the Lord wanted me to go in another direction, which really does fit in with the whole subject of know who you are and our authority. Because as I've stressed with you before in knowing who you are, the issue is simply this, that where do you see yourself positioned? I, I woke up the other morning, two mornings ago, singing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, the second verse says, the world behind me, the cross before me. And when I sang that, I thought, that's wrong. The world behind me, the throne before me. Because as I stressed a few months ago in John G. Lake's teaching, we have stopped at the cross and we haven't gone through the resurrection and the ascension to the throne because we are not at the cross. We are seated together with him in heavenly places. We are enthroned with Jesus far above, Paul says in Ephesians 1, all principalities and powers. And right now I see so many of God's children being buffeted by principalities and powers through the things that are being said. And so I I really want to begin this month to bring a course correction, to bring a perspective correction, to try to lift you up, lift your eyes up to a heavenly perspective perspective on events that are going on instead of being buffeted and just carried around with every whim of media or even prophetic utterance that is causing so much confusion in the body of Christ. In the last few days, we've had a number of people contact us about some prophetic dreams that were shared by a pastor from Kentucky, and they wanted to know what our opinion of them was. And so we listened to it. And let me say that what happened was the first impact and effect of listening to those dreams was a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, and even fear coming in upon me. And after a few minutes of listening, I switched off the recording and I said to Bev, how does that make you feel? And she shared what she was feeling. And I said, exactly. It is not new covenant. God does not manipulate us through fear and intimidation to pray. We are led by the spirit. We are not controlled by a spirit of fear. 
And as I began to investigate a little further, and I, I don't want to say too much because I believe the pastor was absolutely sincere, but if you look at his other teachings on YouTube, he is clearly has an old covenant mentality when it comes to prophecy and especially when it comes to sanctification. He really believes in sanctification by works. And so that affects his interpretation, his perspective, and I dare say the way he dreams and interprets those dreams. And so I really want to help you to see where you are seated and enthroned. And I'm going to start off by a passage from James chapter 2. And James says this, My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come one into your assembly, a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should come in another poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you sit there or sit here at my footstool, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, that first verse, literally in the Greek, I want to give you the literal Greek meaning. My brothers, you do not. Remember that the indicative and the uh, imperative mood are the same grammatical construction in the Greek language. So it's translated in our Bibles as imperative mood. Do not. Hold. But I believe this is really indicative, my brethren. You do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. My brothers, you do not have, and I'm going to put it this way you do not have the same kind of faith as our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, when and Partiality means to take things at face value or when you judge things by outward appearance. And he gives such a clear illustration of that that it leaves you no doubt as to what he's implying. Because he talks about a rich man coming into the assembly and a poor man in filthy rags coming into the assembly. And our tendency would be to treat the rich man with honor and the poor man with disdain simply by their appearance. Okay. In other words, we're judging from the outward appearance. And he said, if you do that, he says, do you not show, have you not shown partiality or to take face, to judge things from external appearance among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil simply means faulty. When I look at things from an external perspective and judge things by what I see in the natural, I have got evil thoughts. I have got faulty thoughts. I'm going to come to a wrong and a faulty conclusion because I'm looking at things by how they appear externally. I want to read this to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. Now, his physical presence, he was gentle and lowly, but when he was absent, they said, you're bold. That's what the accusation was that he had spoken about earlier in the chapter. They said, well, when you're away from us, you're bold, but when you're in our presence... 
uh, you're, you're humble and you're meek and so on. But he said, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, people looked at Paul's external appearance and measured him by the external appearance and judged him by the external appearance. And that is always so dangerous. And he says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? And he goes into a discussion of the externals and he goes so far as to say, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. In other words, if you're looking at things from an external perspective, an earthly perspective, you're going to make wrong judgments. You're, you're looking at things humanly, and that is not who we are. Because, going back to James chapter 1, you do not have the same kind of faith as our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, when you judge things by external appearance. What is faith? Hebrews 1, 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is the ability to see what is not visible to the human eye, what is not visible to the human mind, something that is spiritually discerned only. And because we are new spiritual creations, we are new creations, we have a capacity to see things spiritually and not naturally. Our biggest problem is this, that we live in a natural world and where we are bombarded by a media that is not just neutral, but as so such evil agenda behind so much of what is in the media, on the news, even the, the entertainment programs that we have. There is an agenda of those who are putting out that programming that if you're not careful, you are being bombarded by that which causes you, which dims your spiritual vision, which clouds your spiritual perception so that you begin to see things from the world's perspective. And what the world wants to to do is put fear on you because when you have fear, you can be controlled. You can be, when you're intimidated, you can be controlled and people can make suggestions to you and you follow through with those suggestions because fear is contrary to faith and you cannot follow the direction of the Holy Spirit through a spirit of fear you will always follow the external pressures of the world when you have a spirit of fear on you. And that was my biggest beef with supposed prophetic dreams that this pastor has had because it just put on people, all of our friends, why did they contact us? Because they were all afraid, because they heard what he said and fear came all over them, just as it did to Bev and I. The first effect on Bev and I was hopelessness, despair, and fear. 
And that tells me that it's not God. You know why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us this. Listen to this. But he who prophesies, now he's talking about the spirituals that he's introduced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now that we're in Christ, now that we're in this new covenant reality, now that we are moving no longer under the law, but we're in grace and we're moving by the Holy Spirit. He goes into the spiritual manifestations in the assembly, operating in the assembly, speaking in tongues and so on, and prophecy. And this is what he says about new covenant prophecy. He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So a new covenant prophet, when he prophesies, you feel edified or you feel built up. You feel strengthened. The second thing he does, he exhorts. That's he encourages you. He, he animates you. He puts zeal within you. There's exhortation within you. And the third thing is he comforts you. New Testament prophecy will always edify, exhort and comfort. If it doesn't do that, it's old covenant prophecy and it's according to the old covenant. I've said this before and I'll teach it again. The old covenant relied upon the obedience of the people for the blessing of God to come upon his people. It was up to the people. The soul that that does these things shall live by them was the dictate of the law. And so the role of the prophet under the old covenant was to remind the people of what God had said, to exhort them to obey what God had said. And in order to promote correct behavior, the Old Testament prophet would use promises and threats, threats of what God would do if they didn't obey and rewards that they would receive if they did obey. That was the old covenant prophet. He prophesied according to the covenant that was in place. It was a covenant of law, a covenant of works. It required works and obedience on the part of the people. We living under a new covenant. It's a covenant of promise. And the promises are to be received and to believe by faith. So all New Testament prophecy must impart and provoke faith in the people of God. Faith to believe God by revealing how big God is, by revealing the promises of the good that he wants to do. And faith is is provoked in the people of God. That's New Testament prophecy. So New Testament prophet speaks to edify, to exhort and to comfort the people of God. So what happened with this man's particular dreams, they didn't edify, they didn't exhort, and they didn't bring comfort, not one little bit of comfort to the people of God. So it was not New Testament prophecy. It was old covenant prophetic warning. So whenever you you mix covenants, you're going to start with your basic presupposition is going to be faulty, and from there, it's going to lead you into error. A classic illustration, example, of starting with the wrong presupposition is Psalm 73. Asaph, along with King David, are the music 
directors, leaders of the nation of Israel. They both are prolific psalmists. Uh, David, of course, is the greatest one of the psalmists, but Asaph was not too bad himself. And his section of psalms starts in Psalm 73, and it's a great psalm, great, great psalm, because it, it's, full of, it's full of wonderful insight. And he starts off in Psalm 73, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Is that true? No, it's not. See, if you start off with the wrong presupposition, you're going to come to the wrong conclusions. That is not true. David says this in Psalm 145. He says, God is good to all. Let me read it to you. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Listen to this. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works the Lord is good to all he's not just good to those in Israel who are pure in art you're going to get confused you're going to get into trouble if your perspective is that God will only do good to people who are pure in art and so he said this, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, if you start with the presupposition that God is only good to those who are pure in heart, then what, how, what do you do with people who are evil, but who are prospering? How do you process it when someone who is not as devoted and as consecrated as you seems to be enjoying blessing? It does not make sense. And that's what happened to Asaph. He was in, in such a quandary over the situation. He says in verse 13, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. He gets to the place. He's so discouraged. He's so depressed by what he's thought as he looks at the prosperity of the wicked. He said, why have I even tried to keep myself clean? If you start with the wrong presupposition, you eventually get to a place where you're so discouraged, you want to give up. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And then he says this, this is good. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Fortunately, he th said to himself, if I said this, man, I, I would discourage everybody. I mean, he's, he's the choir leader. He's the praise and worship leader. And I'm telling you, the praise and worship leader can have such an effect on the whole congregation, either drawing them into the glory of God's presence and into the glory of the, of the works of God, or else to just put such heaviness on the people. And I've seen this when a praise and worship leader is going through stuff in his own life and he, he can so easily put that same heaviness on the congregation and the whole climate atmosphere of a service just goes downhill till everybody is groveling. Why? Because he's processing his own emotional state in front of the people. Behold, if I had said this, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Have you ever got there? 
Have you ever got to the place where you felt like, man, it's even too painful for me to process. Why isn't God fulfilling his promises? Why does it seem as if God gives me all these promises and then it's like I'm being chastened all the time. It's like he's against me. It's like stuff is happening left, right and center. Where is God in this whole thing? It just becomes so painful. You get a tightness across your chest because fear settles in upon you because condemnation comes in upon you. Have I done something wrong? Have I missed God? Have I misinterpreted his promises to you? And then he says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. You see, when you get into the presence of God, you can return. You can restore your eternal perspective on things. When you get into into his presence, it's like your eyesight becomes attuned to the way things heaven sees, that you get a heavenly perspective on, on things instead of seeing things as man sees them. I'll never forget, um, a, and I'm going to use her name, Colleen Fushi who uh, a friend of ours in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, her husband Tony had a serious accident one lunchtime, returning from lunch to work. And the police arrived at her door and Colleen just said, hold it there. And she went to the back room and said, Lord, what is this? And the Lord let her know that they were going to give her bad news about Tony. But he told her immediately that everything was going to be okay. And she went back there and she eventually went to the hospital and Tony was in a very serious condition. But she would not allow anybody into the room where Tony was who had any unbelief. She wanted everybody who went into that room to be standing in faith that God was going to heal Tony. And I've told the story before how a few days later, I felt the impression to go and give blood at the Carter Blood Clinic in Fort Worth. So I drove all the way to the Carter Blood Clinic and they interviewed me and they said, when last, because she heard my accent, she says, when last were you in in Africa? And I said, well, I was there about three months ago. And she said, well, you can't give blood then for for another, I think it was three months or, or nine months, six months or a year. And I said, I couldn't understand it. I said, Lord, I'm sure I heard your voice to go and give blood. And so I drove back out to the mid-cities to Emmaus Road Ministry uh, School where Bev and I were both teaching and there was a birthday that we were celebrating. And so I went back there and uh, we enjoyed the party. And then the Holy Spirit said, go to John Peter Smith Hospital and go and release life into Tony right now. And so, I mean, you know, the doctor said he wouldn't regain his eyesight. His one eye had been bashed and and he had head injuries and so on. And I went and the Lord gave me a picture of me standing at, at the head of his bed and just laying hands on him and releasing, releasing life into Tony. And I did what I had seen in the spirit. Now, if you look at things in the natural, you could look and you say it's hopeless. It's hopeless. His head is so beat up. The doctors were saying he'll be a cabbage for life if he survives, etc., etc. But I went and I released life into him. And today, Tony is alive and he's well. It's so imperative that you see heaven's perspective. You hear from heaven, get God's word Instead of like Asaph 
is starting with the wrong presupposition. God is not just good to those in Israel and to those who are in pure in heart. He is good to all. He's good to all nations. He's good to all people because that's his nature. He's such a good God. He's such a loving God. He's so full of mercy. Uh, Psalm 145 says his chesed, his tender mercy, his uh, compassion is over all. His goodness is over all. That is so precious and it's so important for us to have that perspective because otherwise you'll, you'll become so embittered when it looks like people who you know are not where you are spiritually and you judge as being lost or wherever, but they're prospering and you think, I don't understand it, God. I, I'm, I'm believing you. I'm standing on the promises. I'm trying to keep my hands clean and I'm not prospering. I feel as if I'm being chastened every morning. Stuff is happening to me that shouldn't be happening to my worst enemy and it's easy to lose your perspective if you look at things from the outward appearance this is the whole thrust of my message you cannot walk in the authority of heaven over things on earth if you have a perspective on things of earth that is not in harmony with heaven's perspective because you're going to look at the impossibility of the situation and you're going to be overwhelmed and intimidated by the situation and you're going to misinterpret the purposes of God by what you see with your eyes and what you hear with your your ears and your natural senses tell you. The classic illustration of this is the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah starts off in chapter 5 and he sings a song. He says, now let me sing to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. And of course, the vineyard is Israel. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no no rain on it for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant he looked for justice and behold oppression for righteousness but behold a cry for help now is that a true prophetic picture it is because the rest of the prophecy of Isaiah is Uh, the unveiling of that. God had done so much for Israel and for Judah, and instead of them producing good fruit, there was bad fruit. But then Isaiah does this. He goes on to into a rant of woes against 
different classes of people. Woe to those who join house to house that add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In other words, the rich who were just buying up properties and consuming properties and so on. And then woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night. And so those who were bent on pleasure. Uh, Verse 18, woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if it as if with a cart rope that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. In other words, they're full of unbelief. They say, okay, we want to see it. And then woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant mixing intoxicating drinks. In other words, he looks at the condition of the nation and it's all woe, 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 Whoa. Now, is it an accurate assessment of how things are in the natural? Totally. That's what Israel looks like. All kinds of sin abounding in the nation of Israel. But then Isaiah 6 verse 1 happens. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. What was significant about King Uzziah? King Uzziah was probably Isaiah's uncle. And he had been a good king, a godly king. Had brought to Judah a wonderful season of prosperity. And then he had become proud. And in his pride, he had usurped the role of a priest And as a result of that, had been struck with leprosy until the time that he died. But when he died, because the the Judah had been in peace, his had been a a good reign and, and it had been a prosperous time for the nation. When he died, it left a leadership vacuum within the nation. And I'm sure Isaiah, along with many others, were thinking, what's going to happen to the nation now? And so that is why he has this revelation of the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne. I want you to see today, and I want you as you hear this word this month, to recognize that our hope is not in a political solution coming from Washington, D.C., or from anywhere else. And what happens in Washington doesn't affect one little bit the fact that God is on the throne. There was a vacuum of leadership in Judah, but that didn't change the fact that the Lord was on his throne high and lifted up and his train, his robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> is that what they said? <laughs> no, no, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, that's the perspective of heaven. 
Isaiah is looking at the situation in the natural and he's saying, this nation is in deep trouble. We have got iniquity abounding. I mean, the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. People are just bent on their consuming alcohol and strong drink. They're calling evil good. They're calling good evil. They're in full of unbelief and they're saying, oh, where's God? Let him do what he has promised. We want to see it. You know, show us, show us the goods, you know, stop talking you know give let us see the result and that's what he's seeing in the nation and that's what he's speaking but when he gets into the presence of the lord he hears what the seraphim are saying they saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts and the word holy simply means separate 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 distinct is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory you see he's not like any other earthly ruler he's the lord of hosts He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of the armies of heaven. And if you want to know about the armies of heaven, ask Elisha, whose servant looked outside and he saw the army of Syria surrounding Dothan. And he comes in and he says, alas, alas, my Lord, look at this. Look at the armies of Syria. And Elisha says, oh, God, open his eyes. And the servant's eyes are open to the spiritual realities and the hills are surrounding Dothan are full of the hosts of heaven, full of the armies of heaven. I want you to know this. The armies of heaven are surrounding this nation. I want to give you a little perspective. When I came to the United States of America, God spoke something strongly to me. There is no nation on earth that has done more for the betterment of the nations of the world than the United States of America. There is no nation on earth that has sowed more in terms of manpower as far as the gospel is concerned than the United States of America. More missionaries have gone forth from America and established more ministries all over the world and raised up training institutions to train national pastors all over the world that have gone forth from the nation of America. Now, let me ask you this. When I came to America, I'd hear these prophets. This was, you know, 38 years ago now. 38 years ago, they were prophesying the doom and gloom of America and the destruction of America. And 38 years later, it hasn't happened. Why? Because God is not obtuse. He's not crazy. Why would he destroy the one nation in the world that has been such a blessing to all the families of the earth? Man, it doesn't make sense. And the Lord said to me, I'm sending you to America as the harvest of what they sowed into South Africa and into Africa. You are part of the harvest to go back to to go to the States and be a blessing. And I look at people like Kim Clement and Rodney Howard Brown and, and so many other South Africans whom God has sent to this nation to be a blessing to this nation. Why? Because America sowed into South Africa and there are, think of Joseph Prince and the impact he's having. Why? Because missionaries sowed in Malaysia, in China, in all over there. And so the harvest is coming in. America is being blessed through the nations of the earth because it's the harvest of what they have sown. 
Hebrews 6 says, God is not unfaithful to forget your labor of love and so on. God doesn't forget all that America has done. The harvest will come in. As long as the earth remains, God said to Noah, sea time and harvest will remain. America has yet to reap an amazing harvest of all that they have sown to bless the nations of the earth in the spirit. So don't let anybody tell you that America is under God's judgment. Yes, there are things that need to be cleaned up in this nation, but God's able to do that. He's on the throne and all the old earth is full of his glory is what heaven is saying. The whole earth is full of his glory. God, open our eyes to see your glory, your glory, even in what's happening with this COVID-19 virus, your glory, what's happening with the, the riots and with all the stuff that's going on and the pandemic and everything else and all the political machinations that are going on towards the election in November. Help us to see your glory in it all because you are on the throne and it's not according to what man dictates. It's according to you. It's according to what you say and you say the whole earth is full of my glory. Now look at verse four and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, whoa, is me. Now it's not woe to them outside. It's woe is me. Why? For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. It wasn't Uzziah. It wasn't his successor. Who's the king? <laughs> it's God. He is king of kings. He's Lord of lords. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, the armies of heaven. Listen, here's the issue. And just to refer to the, the video that we watched, the pastor who gave those dreams made this ad admission. He said, I read, and I can't remember the number, but it was dozens of newspapers every day. He says, I'm so well read and I'm well informed. Well, I want to tell you something that newspapers and the media are unclean lips. You dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips if you are receiving your information about the situation in the world through the media. Bevel and I have stopped watching news completely because we understand that there is an evil agenda behind all of the news. We refuse to allow that into our spirits, into our minds, into our souls. We don't want to allow any of that in. It's unclean lips. And if you're not careful, you will then parrot what you're hearing and your lips become unclean because you're saying what you just heard them say 
And so be careful, be careful. Isaiah had unclean lips and until he received a cleansing with a coal from off the altar, then he was commissioned to go and tell the people. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. What was his sin? His sin was speaking according to what he saw with his natural eyes, what his natural senses told him. And so he needed to be cleansed from that because he wasn't speaking what God was saying. He couldn't be a prophet to the nation if he got his latest PowerPoints from what the media was saying and what others were saying and what the the experts were saying and what the doctors were saying and what the politicians were saying and what this one was saying and what that one was saying. Your iniquity is purged and your, your sin purged. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now he's ready. Now he's ready to speak. Then he said, here am I, send me. And God said, go and tell this people. And he's given a commissioning from God. Many of us need our lips purged because we've been saying, we've been sowing discord. We've been sowing doubt. We've been sowing fear. We've been sowing unbelief. We've been sowing distrust. We've been sowing hopelessness, not because you intended it, but because you spoke what you had heard somebody else say, child of God, please hear me. If we're going to walk in the authority of heaven, if we're going to heal the sick, if we're going to cast out demons, then we have to be sure that our spirit is clear of the traffic of this world's information system. Listen, the verse that is burning in my spirit in these days is Acts 10 and verse 38. Peter says to Cornelius how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He didn't add to the oppression. He didn't speak gloom. He didn't speak negativity. He spoke the word of the kingdom. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Everywhere he went, he preached the good news of the kingdom. He went about doing good because God was with him. Why? Because God is good and he's always doing good and he wants us to be agents of his goodness in the earth and he wants us to be healing all those who are oppressed of the devil and I'm telling you you will not be an agent of heaven and you will not be able to impart hope to impart confidence to impart faith in the people of God you won't be won't be able to encourage to exhort to comfort the people of God and edify the people of God if your lips are just repeating what you're hearing other people saying, no matter how accurate it might be. Oh, I, I just, I just feel this so strongly after what's been going on in the last couple of days. We need a purification. I need, because I've been guilty as well of hearing stuff and then reporting it to others. And I've been wrong in doing that. I, I acknowledge that I've been falling short of my calling in doing that. 
in order for us to be God's spokesman to the nation at this time, we need to be hearing what heaven is saying. And heaven is saying the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me tell you this. You, your family, your home, your finances are in this earth. So your home, your family, your marriage, your children, your finances, your business, your job is full of his glory. It's full of his glory. See, you can get so focused on the little things and you fail to see the glory of the Lord. I've shared this before. When I would pray for my children and I was tempted to report to God what I saw with my natural eyes, he would remind me that I needed to speak about them as heaven saw them. And so I would pray and I said, thank you, Lord. I see Tracy and Brad standing complete in your presence, clothed with your righteousness, full of your power, full of your anointing. Uh, As agents of your kingdom, I see them with wisdom. I see them with your favor upon them. I see them having all their needs met. All the financial needs that they have are met in you. That's how I see them because that's how you see them. You see them as fully equipped and fully blessed and prosperous. And that's how you see me. And so I refuse to acknowledge lack and debt. That is an enemy. And that's not the reality. The reality is... My finances are full of the glory of the Lord. My bank account is full of the glory of the Lord. Our ministry bank account is full of the glory of the Lord. Our ministry finances are full of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, the whole earth is full of His glory. And if I say anything contrary to that, I'm contradicting heaven and I need my lips cleansed. I need a coal from off the altar. It would be bathed in the blood of the sacrifice. That living coal, that live coal would sear and seal my lips. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your your iniquity is taken away. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for that touch of heaven. This is a time when we need that touch of heaven. We need that burning coal from off the altar. Well, it's already done in Jesus, but we receive the cleansing. We receive the cleansing where we have said stuff that has brought fear, where we have spread rumors that have caused others to have fear and anxiety because they said, well, if John sees it that way, that must be the truth. Lord, I, I, I just repent where I have sowed anything other than the whole earth is full of his glory. I declare today the truth of what heaven says. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you that faith is the ability to see things from the spiritual perspective. John reports when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Help us to rightly divine, divide between flesh and spirit. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is quick and it's the promise is quick and powerful and sharper than than any two-edged sword and it's able to divide between soul and spirit. And so Lord, help us to have that uh, that, uh, ability by the 
word of God in us, by the spirit of God upon us, by his anointing to be able to discern. And so that we speak as heaven speaks and we don't sow distrust. We think of the spies that go into the land and they they see themselves as grasshoppers. And so they say we were in the sight of those giants as grasshoppers. They projected onto the giants how the giants saw them, but it wasn't the truth. The truth was that the whole, the Bible says that all of the peoples of those lands were petrified of Israel because of all the defeats that they had heard about. And yet these people see the giants and focus on the giants and they come back and they give a bad report. And because of that bad report, they were disqualified from entering into the promised land and they caused the whole nation of that time, all the males to perish in the wilderness. Lord, give us the spirit of Caleb and Joshua in these days to say, let's go. God's given us the land. We can possess the land. God's given us the land. The giants are loaves and the bigger the giant, the bigger the loaf. They're bread for us. Caleb and Joshua said, they're bread for us. We can feed on them. We can eat them. Give us the spirit of Caleb and Joshua in these days to speak life, hope, faith, hope, hope, hope. May the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound with hope. If you're filled with fear, you will not be able to abound with hope. It's in believing that you're filled with all joy and peace so that hope abounds and overflows through you. Make us hope-filled Christians spreading hope wherever we go. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you and thank you for listening.